today on CityCast Madison. Election day is here, folks. Did you vote already? Do you have a plan to vote? Of course, it's a big one. We're electing a new state Supreme Court justice, plus the mayor of Madison, school board members, and all city alders. Your alder is your advocate in city government. They make the rules. One alder, Grant Foster, decided before he left office, he was gonna clean house on some very outdated rules. Like, did you know we banned trick bikes? It's Tuesday, April 4th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Hi, Alder Foster. Hey, how are you, Bianca? I'm doing pretty good. I hear that you have kind of become the Marie Kondo for ordinances. <laughs> there you go. Clean out your life. <laughs> and and why, why did you take this on? Well, uh, I mean, there's a few reasons for it. One, you know, it's sort of my job right now. Um, the only people that can get rid of an ordinance is someone who's on the Madison Common Council. So, you know, if somebody's got to do it or they just sit there and pile up. So, you know, I think that was... Reason number one. Um, reason number two, I think anytime we've got laws on the books that we don't really expect to be enforced or we don't expect them to be enforced all the time, it's a setup. You know, it's, it's a bad situation and it's just um, most likely scenarios that it leads to uneven enforcement. I was going to say, is, what did you mean by setup? That it's unevenly enforced? Yeah. If we have laws that we think, oh, yeah, well, it's it's fine. It won't get enforced unless it really needs to get enforced. You're basically turning over that responsibility over to the police to say, hey, you make a decision now on a case by case scenario whether you should enforce this law today or not. And um, I, th I think it's a setup for police. I think it's a setup for the community. So I think we need to be clear and we just shouldn't have laws on the books that we don't expect to be applied evenly. Yeah. Well, you're the person doing this, though. Does this type of city law give you joy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a nerd, so sure. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's joyful in a way. It's interesting to me that I, I, I guess I'm a little bit of a standout in this regard. Um, but it really, I think, should be one of the prime duties of somebody that's on Common Council. I mean, like I said, we're the only ones that can do it. But I think a lot of folks, um, you know, it's, it's a really tough job. It's complicated. There's no uh, training manual. And honestly, there's people that have been on the council for years and years and years and have never really read all of our city ordinances. So I, I guess for me, it seems like a natural and normal thing to do. But I also get that it's uh, apparently weird. Somebody's got to clean house. My goodness. This Somebody's is got to do it. A constant. Who's doing the dishes? Okay. <laughs> What's the wildest ordinance you came across? Oof, the wildest one. Or the most outdated. Yeah, I mean, I guess a few of the ones that I that I tried to touch. I mean, one of them was, you know, there was there was really restrictive um, ordinance on where you could leave your garbage can uh, when it wasn't out at the curb. So it was very specific. <laughs> you know, if you had it on the side of your house, that was against the rules. So, you know, so, again, one that wasn't really enforced, except when you'd get a neighbor that would be pissed off at their neighbor and they would call building inspection and say, hey, they're leaving their garbage can in X location. And then building, oh, building inspection would have to come out and say, oh, yep, that's actually correct. We're going to have to tell this person to move their garbage can to the back of their house. Was there any, so your garbage can, the rule is that your garbage can needed to stay behind your house. Behind, like directly adjacent. Was there any reasoning for that? 
I mean, I, th- I think there's a bunch of them that I came across that just felt to me like, I bet this made total sense in like 1955 and, you know, everybody was watching Leave it to Beaver and this is just, you know, obviously everyone should have their garbage can in the same spot. Decent manners sort of stuff. Right. <laughs> I hear, so thanks to you, trick bike riding is now legal in Madison. Woohoo! Woo! Um, yeah, ride on, ride them trick bikes. <laughs> <laughs> when and why was trick bike riding banned? It's one that's in so many cities have this uh, with very similar language. So I'm pretty sure it came out of, uh, there was some sort of like standard rules of the roads um, that were shared around and communities just adopted a bunch of stuff without even... Literal rules of the road. Literal rules of the road. That's what they call it. And yeah, so that's, it's why a lot of state rules of the road are very similar to each other. Um, and then there was sort of a municipal version. So yeah, there's... I mean, so many uh, cities across the country have this provision in there, a lot of them not even knowing that it's in there. In our case, you know, it's not even defined. You can't trick ride. Well, what is trick riding? My son was in a unicycle club at, at, um, you know, Marquette Elementary. And like, I guess you can ride a unicycle. Is that trick riding? If you take your hands off the handlebars of a regular bike, that's not okay. I mean, it was just silly. Yeah, I just smiled so hard. Um, <laughs> that your son was doing unicycling. And I have to say, as a youngster, I remember in, you know, where I where I grew up, not too far away from here, there were issues with trick bikes. Like, oh, you can't have your bike this way. And it felt very strange as a youngster. Another one that I understand um, that you worked on, until recently, it was unlawful for Madison kids, meaning between kids between 12 and 17 years old, to be, quote, upon the streets or alleys or public places within the city of Madison during curfew hours. That also, I remember feeling like it was enforced maybe in certain areas more than others. So is that the case here? Yeah, this is one that I also honestly didn't know was on the books. I mean, I've, I've got two kids at uh, East High right now and certainly was at fault for this. You know, this makes it illegal for the, for the young person to do it. It also... Uh, is illegal for a parent to allow it to happen. Um, and, 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 you know, if, if you break curfew or if a youth breaks curfew, the parent also gets a punishment for it. Many, many times I was in favor and allowed my kid to ride their bike home after 11 p.m., you know, certainly in the summertime, coming home from a friend's house. And apparently that was illegal. So this is one that I, to me, was in that camp of comes out of that kind of 1950s era. I thought it was a no-brainer. Interestingly enough, there actually was um, some real discussion and debate at council about it with at least a few council members not supporting repeal of this and, and wanting to keep it in place. Interesting. And what what were they saying? Why? And actually, but quickly, before we get into that, so it's now repealed, but the curfew hours before were Sunday, Thursday, 11 p.m. through 4 a.m. and Friday and Saturday, midnight to 5 a.m., why Why did some, a couple of members want it to stay on the books? Yeah, well, I mean, what they stated, at least um, during the meeting, is that uh, rules are important and it's important that our youth learn to follow rules. <laughs> um, you know, I heard from other members of the community. I think apparently there was a bit of an uproar on uh, Nextdoor after it got repealed. And I heard from a number of parents who were very frustrated because it basically it sounded to me like they they didn't want to sort of take their role as a parent and set boundaries and set expectations for their kids and instead wanted to kind of rely on the city ordinance and MPD doing that on their behalf. And so they were, they were disappointed that now 
their kid who wanted to stay out past curfew, they would have to make their own rule instead of saying, oh, sorry, you can't because city law doesn't allow you to. And so I thought that was kind of a funny reason to have an ordinance in order to set boundaries for your kids. <laughs> well, also, I feel like some kids have jobs after 14 and might be coming back late if it's in the restaurant industry or, or whatnot. So I feel like it also would penalize people, you know, who are, are working well, you know, funny enough, it's so that the it actually had a carve out for that. So you were you were not breaking the rule if you came back um, from a job, as well as a bunch of other really funny things like a school dance or a church activity or, you know, so you read the thing and you get where it came from. And it sort of made the whole thing even that much more absurd, right? Because if you were smart it's enough. It's a relic. Yeah, you could just say, oh, yes, officer, I'm coming home from a church activity. The only way that you're you're actually breaking the law is if you don't know, you know, <laughs> how, how to respond to it. Yeah, in my case, too, you know, we've, we haven't owned a car for a number of years. My, my kids grew up walking, biking everywhere. And, you know, it was obvious that there, there was a real, it was a much higher chance that they would get stopped by a, a, a police officer if they're riding their bike home. It's, it's another thing that really disproportionately affects people in different ways. Another ordinance you successfully amended was Madison's public indecency law. What happened there? Uh, you know, that was one that I... I was excited about uh, getting rid of this one. So part of, part of what it made um, illegal, or so I thought, was a, a bearing of the female breast. And so I thought, well, this is a, a sort of a no-brainer in Madison. Free the nip. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was I was really excited to help. And you know, it turns out that this ordinance, the way it was created, was pretty problematic in that it 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 defined nudity, including um, bearing of a female breast but didn't actually prohibit that. So it was sort of a, a, a weird, um, just poorly written um, ordinance at the end of the day. So we did still get rid of that section, but it, it didn't actually make a, a real change, um, even, even without taking on the question of what's decent or not related to the human body. Uh, it was another opportunity to just get rid of, I, I think, something that doesn't really match up with how a broad section of the community deals with this today. You just got rid of that, that language. Because, like, it just shouldn't be in the books and you're cleaning them up. We shouldn't have it on the books. Um, and I'm glad that um, the nips continue to be free. Speaking of, of <laughs> there's no segue, but free the nip. You have so much knowledge of the city laws. You just mentioned, you know, we're having a whole new rung of alders who are going to be coming in. And you're, you're, you're not running again. Why, why are you leaving? <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's it's a it's just a ton of work. I mean, I, everybody's got a different experience. I think everybody has different expectations of themselves in the role. Um, I mean, I, I went into it planning and expecting to put a lot of time and energy into it. I was in a good spot. I was able to, you know, mostly focus on this and not have to keep up with another full time job at the same time. But it's definitely of the most or the the most difficult job I've ever done, and I've I've had some big ones. So it's just, it's been a lot of work. It's been more kind of emotionally challenging than I think I anticipated. You know, I sort of knew I'd be in the spotlight in a way, um, you know, I, but I also felt like I was used to dealing with customer complaints in previous jobs and, you know, thought I had a thick enough skin, but there's something very personal about um, kind of the, the, the way that criticism happens. And, you know, I think the last few years have been really tough with, with COVID. It's been a hard time for a lot of people. 
And um, there just aren't a lot of good protections in place for elected officials. Um, and so you're really exposed to a lot of, you know, what I think is often unfair criticism, very personal, very pointed. And, um, you know, you hear sort of celebrities talk about that. And I, I think local elders are not exactly celebrities, but a you little know, you bit, yeah. Uh, well, you can't get through, you know, if you just, if you want to pull up your Facebook and just relax and, you know, not think about city stuff, all of a sudden there's some comment in some sassy neighborhood page or wherever you might find it, you know, that just sort of gets you back into work. And so, I, you know, I think that was, that was a real drain, honestly. Yeah, I, it's, it's not good to hear that. What kind of protections do you think would be helpful? Yeah, you know, it's tough. I don't have like specific ideas. Some of the things that I did put forward that didn't pass were related to really starting to think about and treat this work as real work to have it paid. You know, that was another thing. I'm, you know, I was in a spot where I could, I could do this with, you know, basically making $14,000 a year. You know, I need to make money at this point. And so you're, the only people that can really do this are people that are making money somewhere else or have other people to take care of them. So that's, you know, that's one thing is actually start to be honest about what we want out of our elected officials, how valuable their work is, um, you know, you get what you pay for. So I've been a strong advocate for, for that, even though it's a really unpopular in a way, uh, mostly because it's just a really cheap and easy way for um, some elected officials to pander to the public and say, I'm, you know, I'm very principled. I don't do this for the money. I don't support paying alders because it's a good way to sort of gain favor and get reelected. But um, the, the end result is that we've got a pretty fragile and not very effective uh, governing body, honestly, because it's it's just a bunch of volunteers who don't have the, the supports needed to do the job well. This is something that the council needs to do is clean up these books and you're doing the deep dives. And I just have to note that we just did a conversation about um, the chicken ordinance, which you wrote, which is we upped the ordinance to four chickens to eight. We talked about that recently. You actually have little baby chicks in the room you're sitting in right now, which is very, very fun. I wanted to ask how many ordinance or like how many did we of these outdated ordinances did we get off the book? Yeah, well, I've done, you know, I did a few over the over the years, but then as, um, you know, as I was looking towards the end of this term and knowing I wasn't running again for another term, I kind of just went back. I'd taken some notes over time of things that stood out for me as being weird or maybe didn't need to be there and just did kind of a, a, a quick skim through and found, you know, probably over 20 ordinances that I, that I thought should be repealed or changed. I put most of them forward. A few of them I didn't just because I knew they would be maybe too controversial to get done in a short amount of time. But yeah, it was a it was a decently long list. And um, yeah, I, I guess I feel I feel pretty proud about um, doing it, getting them all in on time and, and was happy that they were all supported at the end of the day. You should. You should. So it also sounds like, though, that there might be more outdated ones embedded in the book. So you, you cleaned a lot of house, but there's some more cleaning potentially to, to be done. For sure. The only people that can formally make it happen um, are members of the Common Council. You know, that's the only people that can sponsor an ordinance change. But, uh, you know, if there are folks out there that are, um, you know, sort of guerrilla legislators, all of the ordinances are available at Municode. There's only 42 chapters. So really, you know, you can just start small if you want, but start to read them. That's interesting. And if you have ideas, if you've got um, thoughts of things that should be changed, it's pretty easy to find an alder that uh, might be sympathetic and they could sponsor the change for you. Guerrilla legislators, did you hear that call? We will link to that. So you guys, you look in our 
show notes because we will link to that. And and Grant, because we have you and there's this big election, you know, there will be new alders. Do you have any advice for them? You know, anyone particularly who might be on the council for the first time? Oh, yeah. Do your homework. Ask questions, um, especially do it ahead of time. Don't wait to the meeting and just sort of wonder what's going on. Um, you know, actually read the materials, reach out to staff to try and figure out what's going on. Be careful about deferring to staff opinion. Um, that's really an interesting dynamic. I think that I've learned a lot more about. There's there's a lot of power and influence in um, sort of city staff and the bureaucracy. It's tied in some real ways to mayoral power as well. And it's just been really interesting to see over time, you know, how different alders uh, kind of approach it. You know, we've got incredible staff at the city, really, um, really smart, dedicated professionals, a lot of knowledge. But it's really not clear kind of where the lines are between creating policy and sort of carrying it out. Um, You definitely have staff that are more comfortable asserting themselves and their own opinions and their own policy preferences. And sometimes you have alders that say, hey, we we shouldn't micromanage staff. Let's just do whatever they say. So I I think it's really important for alders to... Yes, be respectful, you know, get the information, trust the information that we're getting from professionals, but then really make sure that elders understand it's their role to represent the the community and make the decisions and actually set the policy. Alder Foster, thank you for your service to Madison. And thank you for cleaning up these books. These are some major outdated ordinances. And thank you for telling us about it. This has been really fun and insightful. Yeah, it's been a blast. Appreciate the conversation. That's Grant Foster, Madison City Alder for the Near East Side. Also, we should note that here on CityCast Madison tomorrow, we'll be serving up hot, fresh election results. So if you want to get a download on what happened in the election, meet you back here first thing tomorrow. And here's what else Madison's talking about. An update on your favorite ginormous disco ball off of I-94. The billion-dollar Microsoft data center set for the Foxconn site is one step closer. The Mount Pleasant Village Board approved the sale of more than 300 acres for the campus. It goes to the Racine County Board next. And it's state budget season. Tomorrow, Wednesday, April 5th at 6 p.m., State Senator Melissa Agard, who represents the east side of Madison, plus Monona, Sun Prairie, and parts of Fitchburg, is holding a state budget listing session. This is with Senator Kelda Royce of the Joint Finance Committee. This will be at the Alda Leopold Nature Center in Monona. We'll throw a link in our show note with the details. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this podcast with someone who likes to trick out their bike? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Talk soon.